going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. This is your host, Bob, here talking um, quick promo and announcement uh, with football in full swing. Uh, we really want to talk as much football as possible so and, and get you guys ready for uh, the weekend as much as we can. So every Friday, we're going to roll out a little episode, a, a tiny one, 10 minutes and less uh, episode called Football Fridays, just detailing the previewing the matchups of definitely the Cleveland Browns and especially in those big games, the Ohio State Buckeyes. And we'll just talk about what to expect in that upcoming weekend. So just a little bit of, you know, football fever to feed you as you listen to 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 the podcast on, on Friday getting ready for the weekend uh Chris I'm pretty excited about that me too it should be fun uh you know NFL kicked off this weekend uh so obviously a lot of football to talk about here but Bob man it didn't take long for me for my Browns fever to fade away and turn back into tribe fever because you know, it's hard for me to wrap my arms around a Cleveland Browns team that looks so bad on Sunday when we've got the Cleveland Indians here that are just, they're lo- it's looking pretty real right now that they're probably going to be a playoff team. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know if I ever had a fever for this Browns team. I mean, <laughs> I was so excited for the NFL season to start and I tried usually if there's a Cleveland sporting event on and, you know, I live in Tennessee and so I don't get the local broadcasts. Uh, I will find a way to watch the game, you know, through various methods. I I have the means to do it. I, I don't have, you know, Sunday ticket. I tried for like a second to watch that game. And then I was like, <laughs> all right, I, w- I would rather watch the Titans versus the Vikings, which was in and of itself a very boring game. But you know, I I could not I could not care less. I mean, I, I'll I'll tune in and and we'll talk about it. I I do care, but for my Sunday football enjoyment, I mean the Browns factor in very little. And I'm glad, you, yeah, we're leading with the Cleveland Indians. They're hot. They look like a playoff team. I, I'm super stoked about them for sure. I mean, the impressive part about the Cleveland Indians is they have yet to lose more than three games in a row, and we're at September 12th here, Bob. I mean, with 20 games left in the season, they have yet to have a losing streak longer than three games. And that right there is yeah. just the model of a of a true contender. I mean, they're not just a playoff team. They could legitimately win it all. Now, I'm not saying that they're a lock. Because like, I feel like the Cavs in the East, they were pretty much a lock. That's not the case with the Indian. The American League is going to be tough. But the fact of the matter is, this team has the makeup and the talent to win the World Series. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Baseball is a different animal than, than basketball. You can't just, uh, you know, any series is not given, even the most favorited team. I think the last true dominant team was that uh, late 2000s New York Yankees team that you kind of expected to go through. Other than that, the the, the baseball, the MLB playoffs is uh, intense for, from the very get-go. There's no, there's no eighth seed in, in the MLB playoffs. So that, that's what makes it exciting. So, but th- that being said, you know, the tribe does have the pieces of, you know, your prototypical world series champion, the strong, strong bullpen, strong rotation and, and timely hitting, um, you know, go, going back to, you know, the Indians haven't lost a, three games in a row all season. Uh, Chris, we, it was just a couple of weeks ago where we were almost concerned about them, you know, coming off that really bad, West Coast trip, uh, dropping games against Oakland and the Rangers. Um, we, we were concerned, and, and we thought that, all right, maybe this is finally the time where 
the the wheels fall off because this is an Indians offense that not a lot was expected of them. Um, an, an overperforming offense for, for the first four months. Uh, and we were just kind of waiting for them to finally just, you know, have a collapse and, and be the Cleveland Indians that we expected them to be this year. That hasn't happened. And, and like you said, I think it's, it's time to finally accept that this is a playoff bound team. I mean, we got two guys plus 30 home runs that hasn't happened since Jim Tomey and Alice Burks did that in 2002 or maybe 2003 it's been a while since we've had two guys hit 30 home runs on the same roster now we got Carlos Santana and Mike Napoli doing it um this is an Indians offense that that is second uh, in the American League in runs scored and I think first in the league in stolen bases uh I I would have taken the bet against that if you if you were trying to make a bet that the Indians would be one of the highest uh scoring teams in, in the American League Oh, I would definitely have bet it against that, but that just shows you that it's not just those two. Well, first off, Mike Napoli coming in through free agency has just been just the best value free agent signing of the offseason. I, I, I would be hard-pressed to find a better one. Uh, Carlos Santana finally getting things together and being that 30-40 to 40 home run hitter we've always wanted him to be. Um, Jose Ramirez, man. I mean, I know he doesn't have a ton of home runs, but he has huge clutch hits, a lot of RBIs every time it feels like he's at the center of things and another guy who's always at the center of things is Francisco Lindor who could be an MVP candidate I mean with what he brings to this table uh, to the table both offensively and defensively Um, and then this team is just fun to watch you know you've got a lot of speedy guys they're stealing bases they're 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 playing just a very fun kind of baseball in addition to having this dominant pitching staff with a deep bullpen and a strong defense, and an offense that's putting up runs. I mean, Bob, those are all four phases of the game right there, and you, you can't say the Indians are deficient in any of them. I, I would say the offense is the weakest part, but they still have an offense. And how many years have we said, man, if the Indians just had some bats, if the Indians just could hit a little bit better, just be an average offense, they'd be great. Well, I'd say right now they're an above-average offense. They're, they're a very good offense, and you combine that with the other three phases of the game that they're just so locked down in, uh, you can see plain as day that this team has a legitimate shot. And and so when when you look at these last 20 games, I mean, obviously there's seven games up on Detroit. Detroit does have seven games against the Indians in this stretch. Does that worry you at all? It's, it's not just that it's against Detroit. It's that it's... They, they close the season on a seven-game road trip against Detroit and against uh, Kansas City. And I think one thing that we have learned, one kind of key weakness, is that the Indians are by far a much better team at home than on the road. They're 36 and 34 on the road at this point, 47 and 25 at home. So uh, that is the concerning part. No, I'm not concerned uh, about the particular team because, well, Obviously, they've dominated the Tigers all year long. They haven't played them in a couple of months, but still, 11-1 and one record. Um, they're the dominant team right now. I think the Tigers should be intimidated by the Indians. Uh, but it, it's more them going on the road, playing a lot of those road games to close out the season. That, that concerns me more than uh, the big-time matchups against the Tigers. 
Yeah, you're, you're definitely right there. You notice every time the Indians have struggled, it has been on the road, which is why it's encouraging that the Minnesota Twins, a team that has really had the Indians number this year, the Indians went on the road and took you know two out of three from them, and they are 5-1 and one in their last two series against the Minnesota Twins. So that's encouraging. They got the White Sox this week and then a long homestand. The thought I have is take care of business in Chicago, take two or three, and then lay the hammer down at home, wrap this thing up before it even gets to those last seven games because I don't want it to be like a four-game lead in that last week. I want the Indians to clinch on that homestand, just lay the hammer down, take two from Detroit, and just take two from everyone. I think if the Indians just take win every series from here on in, just take two games in every series, there's no way Detroit catches them. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you when two of those series are against Detroit, I mean that's, I guess it's mathematically possible that the Tigers could win every other game. But yeah, if they win every series, of course, with a seven game lead right now, uh, that's pretty sound. Um, looking at that homestand, we got Kluber, Carrasco, and Bauer all against Detroit, all at home. Our three best pitchers right now. Uh, yeah, they should take care of business. You know, if if they sweep, that would be fantastic, and I think that would be the nail in the coffin, and they could. Uh, coast into the playoffs but uh yeah I, I think that ideally they take care of business this weekend against Detroit and avoid that pressure of that seven game road trip to close out the series or close out the season and and, and have to clinch the playoffs on, on the road no I definitely agree with that and Bob I mean you mentioned Bauer is their third best pitcher right now that's that's because Danny Salazar had some unfortunate news today he's going to be out the next three to four weeks which means he might return right as the playoffs are starting. That would be around October 3rd, between the 3rd and the 10th. If it's the four weeks, he might miss the first round. But if it's closer to that three-week timetable, he might get back in time for that first-round series. But, Bob, that's a very big loss because we talk about the big three in Carrasco, Kluber, and Salazar. He's a big part of that. And, and you know, Trevor Bauer has pitched fine but he's certainly a drop-off between Salazar and Bauer, not as consistent Trevor Bauer, that is. Um, this is this is obviously a huge concern going into the postseason. Yeah, it is a big concern. Um, you know, when, when Josh Tomlin got demoted, lost his job, and Clevenger stepped in, I said, well, they, they have the four guys, and, you know, in the playoffs, you only have four starting pitchers. Now that Salazar's gone, you know, really – you really need three starting pitchers. You want four, but you really need three. And I think Bauer has been as serviceable as Salazar has been since Salazar has been dealing with his injuries and whatnot. Yeah, he's a little up and down, but I think Bauer will be fine being that number three guy. Um, it is concerning, and the, you know you don't want to bring ease a guy back in. Uh, you have no games to give away to Salazar late in the season or, you know, round one of the playoffs. So even if he is available in that situation, would you even be comfortable trying him out there for a start? I would, but I would have Mike Clevenger or Josh Tomlin right there in the bullpen, ready to step in the second inning if need to and, and act as if it's their start. It'd be one of those things where Salazar, you got the start, but you know, maybe quietly say, hey, Clevenger, you know, you're on deck. I mean, you know, because in the playoffs, you have the luxury of having those guys. You have a shorter rotation, so you do have, you can go to those guys if needed. So, yeah, I would because he's that good. I really think that if Salazar is on, that is such a huge weapon. And 
but it also depends. I mean, how desperate are the Indians going to be? I mean, if the if everyone's cooking just fine, I don't know if I'd mess with it to get Salazar back in. But if he comes back October third, like right before the playoffs, maybe if he can start the last game of the year, maybe because that would be the day before that three week timetable, or get some innings in on that game, like maybe just a two innings out of the pen or something, that could be good. But yeah, I would certainly, you know, try to use him if I can because he's just I wouldn't want him to just sit there if he's healthy. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Um it's not the best scenario, but it still is a good problem to have, you know, having Danny Salazar as your potential fourth guy. Um it, it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully he's able to come back and, and uh, like you said, get a start in before the season closes out. But Bob, I mean, it looks like the Indians are going to be the 2 seed if they clinch the central, um, you know, Texas has a pretty good lead on number one, uh, but the Indians have about a three game lead on the AL East champ, whoever that may be. It could be Boston. It could be Toronto or Baltimore. I feel like it changes every day. Um, Bob, of those three teams, which one do you most want to face? Yeah, this is a, a very interesting question um, because, you know, I'm hesitant in, in picking the Blue Jays just because they were such a, a an exciting team in last year's postseason, but that's the team they've had the most success against this year. Just looking at head-to-head records, I mean, the Orioles have dominated the Indians. If you if you can dom- can dominate a, a baseball team in six games, they're, they're one and five against them. Um, the Red Sox are, are two and four. Uh, of the three teams that the Blue Jays are the only team that the Indians have a winning record against at four and three. So I, I feel like I, I'd be most comfortable going up against them. And I think that, you know, they do match up kind of nicely thinking about it. Uh, you know, that, that middle of the lineup obviously is scary, but the Indians have, have the arms to go up against those bats and, and they've, they've won games against them. So and they've won those games recently. Um, so yeah, I, I think the Blue Jays are my preferred choice of those three. Yeah, this is a tough question. Um, I personally am cheering for Boston to miss the playoffs, so I really don't want them there. But I actually do think Boston is the best matchup for the Tribe because I think they're the team that scares me the least. Um, and, and let me just kind of explain. You know, I'm scared of Toronto. I, I don't like. I don't want any part of the Blue Jays. I think they're better than what the Indians have played them in the regular season. I'm kind of scared of Baltimore, too, just because of the way the Orioles have had the Indians number. The Red Sox, they don't intimidate me as much. I I don't think that they're as deep as the other two, offensively or rotation-wise. So if I had to pick, I would pick Boston. But I'm not thrilled about facing any of them, to tell you the truth, because I don't... It's going to be tough to get out of that series no matter who comes out of the AL East. Yeah, I mean, on paper, I think I would want Baltimore uh, of the three. They seem the least scary, but they they just have owned the Indians this season, so I don't want to I don't want that matchup. Um the Red Sox are interesting. I mean, they are tearing the leather off the ball. They they have a very scary lineup. Um, obviously the Indians can handle that. They lead the league uh, runs against, whereas the Red Sox lead the league runs scored in, in the American League. So that would be an ideal or a very interesting matchup. Um, but both those lineups are pretty scary in the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. Indians only one of three teams to score 700 runs, though, right there with Boston and the Chicago Cubs. So 
That's pretty crazy. I, I never would have guessed that preseason, man. Never would have guessed it in a million years. Yeah, it's um, it's ridiculous. You know, Terry Pluto had a really good article about the things that are just kind of crazy about this Indians team. One of them is that the Indians have the second most productive outfield in the American League, second to the Red Sox. And when you consider the the moving pieces in the outfield, and Jose Ramirez doesn't count because he's the third baseman now, um, that's pretty impressive <laughs> and, and pretty surprising. Another stat that he threw out was that Francisco Lindor's worst batting month was 294 average back in May, which is just you know a model of consistency and, and great to see. And he's young too, so that's good stuff. I mean, guys like Lindor and Naquin are going to be around for a while. But all right, Bob, we've talked about the good. Now it's time to go to the bad and the ugly, the Cleveland Browns. Bob, I, I tried to watch that game on Sunday, and I couldn't do it. Not with the Indians on, uh, not with a free week of uh, DirecTV Red Zone uh, for for the NFL. So we, we quickly migrated to other things. When I, I think the safety was the last straw. Uh, yeah, Bob, is there is there any are there any bright spots from this loss? I mean, because RG three is going to miss eight weeks, uh, shoulder injury. Uh, is, did anything good come from this? Any did anything good? Uh, let's see. Carl Nassib got a sack, and Corey Coleman and Terrell Pryor both had over sixty yards in receiving. I think those are my only impressive things uh, of. The, uh, the the other good thing, I guess, is in terms of long term, you know, the Browns aren't fooling themselves anymore. <laughs> they're really, they're, they know they're a bad team. There's no hope that they're going to be a surprise team uh, with the way Robert Griffin played and with the way Robert Griffin got hurt. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm glad the Browns have looked in the mirror and realized that they have to do this kind of overhaul. Now, I've been saying it all throughout the preseason. This is going to be a very painful year. You start this many guys with with you know, four years or less experience. You got 14 rookies on the roster. You've got a quarterback who wasn't the starter last year. Now he's injured. You know, Josh McCown was serviceable last year, but I mean, it's, it, there's nothing exciting about the Browns right now. There, there really isn't. I, I did think Duke Johnson showed some flashes there. Um, the problem is I don't think the offensive line is very good outside of Joe Thomas um, yeah. and Joe Bentonio. Um, I think Crow- that, Crowell ran well too. Yeah, no, he he definitely did too. I mean, I think the the running backs have potential. It's just a matter of the offensive line has so much turn on it that uh, it's going to be tough to realize that without a strong unit up front. Uh, something that the Browns, quite frankly, have wasted over the last five or six years. Uh, they had one of the best offensive lines in football, and and unfortunately couldn't keep it together. Um, so no, I I don't think there's much, many many positive things to take from this, um, especially with RG three getting hurt, and, and the clincher is that it came against Carson Wentz, the guy that the Browns traded out of, but but I mean the guy I talked with at work today said, you know if Carson Wentz were on the Browns that'd be him on IR right now instead of RG three. <laughs> I mean it, it's true though. I mean RG three got punished over and over and over again against the Eagles. I mean, you know, the Eagles are a veteran team. You know, it's not like they're the Browns. I mean, the Browns are probably the youngest team in all of football. They're they're trying to build for the 3-4 year plan. This year is just going to be one growing pain after another. Yeah, absolutely. Um 
you know, Jordan Matthews on the other side in terms of a wide receiver is head and shoulders a better wide receiver than anything the Browns have right now. And that's not to say, um, you know, the, the Browns have tons of guys that have potential to, to be better than Jordan Matthews, but Jordan Matthews on Sunday just tore up the secondary and Carson Wentz wisely targeted him 14 times. Uh, Matthews hauled in seven of those for 114 yards and Carson Wentz first touchdown pass, which um, on the very first drive, a pass that beautiful from Carson Wentz. I mean, that had to give every Cleveland fan a serious moment of pause because that was a NFL caliber 19 yard touchdown pass, you know, right over the shoulder in the end zone. Very impressive. But yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. What, what your friend said, you know, Carson Wentz wouldn't have Jordan Matthews on this roster. Uh, he would have, you know, all the the holes on, on on the other side of the ball. He would have a mismatched offensive line, a center that, you know, long snaps the ball over our quarterback's head. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he would have this glorious of a debut. I also think, you know, remember last year when the two rookies went head-to-head and Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, Mariota had four touchdown passes, no interceptions, Winston looked like a rookie, had two touchdowns and two interceptions. Fast forward to this week, you know, Winston had one of the best weeks of a quarterback in the entire NFL. Marcus Mariota could only put up about 13 points against the Vikings and did not look uh did not look so well. So, you know, it's a long season in terms of a tune-up. Carson Wentz got a great tune-up against the Browns, but it's going to be a long season for him. And that's the bottom line. It's one game. Let's just reel it all in here. Carson Wentz obviously looked fantastic, but look at the team he was playing against. You're playing against the team that the Browns are going to make a lot of guys look fantastic this year. Let's just say that. I, I mean, we did it last week. We picked their schedule. Uh, we both only had them winning three games. And honestly, after Sunday, we might be revising those picks down a little bit. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. not even joking because it is that pessimistic here. Um, so I think everyone in Cleveland just needs to calm down and relax. And I think most people – it's easier when you have the Indians playing well. But the point is you know, it's not about this year. The Browns are finally digging deep and uprooting the problem and starting to uh, piece some things together. And hopefully by the end of the year, this team will have gelled and improved. Yeah, nobody was really. If you're if you thought the Browns were gonna have a great year, I don't know what what you were reading and what you were seeing from from the moves that are happening in the off season. I don't think anybody any fan should really be fooled or surprised by the results of of week one, and nor should their expectations really change heading forward. All right, but but week one of the NFL was, as usual, intense. A lot of fun games. Uh, Bob, one that jumped out to me is uh, New England Patriots. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. A lot of people thought this would be a loss for them. Uh, it wasn't just Jimmy Garoppolo. No Tom Brady. Uh, you know, no Rob Gronkowski. Down two offensive linemen, one of their better defensive linemen as well. And they go into Arizona and knock off the Cardinals. Bob... That's a pretty big statement for New England. All these uh, AFC East teams that thought they could, uh, you know, maybe make a move. Well, they're all 0-1, and the Patriots just knocked off a team that has Super Bowl aspirations in their house to go 1-0. It, it, it certainly feels like the Patriots are 
a pretty scary team right now. Yeah, maybe not right now, but they they will be a scary team when Tom Brady comes back. I mean, if you're able to go in with down all your key players playing your B team really against the Cardinals on the road week one and come out with a win, you know, just imagine when those guys get healthy and when they get back from their suspensions and their and their uh, injuries. I mean, that that is very scary. Um, my takeaway from that game, you know, I watched the whole thing and I was surprised that the Cardinals were down for most of it because they they seemed to be the better team on the field, but they just they they were losing the whole time, which which was surprising. And and Larry Fitzgerald was fantastic in the end. That was really awesome to see. Um, you know, some of the other crazy games, uh, Cowboys versus Giants was an insane week one game in 2015. That's when Tony Romo, uh, Eli threw the pass in, into the end zone. Tony Romo leads them back and then he breaks his collarbone, right? Isn't that what happened in uh, 2015? Yeah, Tom Coughlin managed the clock a little wrong there, left yeah. Dallas with way too much time and uh, Tony Romo made him pay. Yeah, but then Tony Romo pays the price as well for for the injury. You know, fast forward this year, Terrence Williams, instead of having a clear path out of bounds, you know, dives forward. You know, they don't have time to to kick the field goal. Dak Prescott wasn't able to get his first win as the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Uh, did you have a chance to watch that one? I did not, unfortunately. Um, I was driving back from my parents' house uh, after halftime, so I didn't get to see the end. But I saw I saw the craziness, and then the Cowboys are kind of like the Browns, and and they do invent ways to lose sometimes. Uh, not not as bad as the Browns, but yeah, it certainly feels like the Cowboys have invented a lot of ways to lose games. Um. How about those Jaguars, too, giving the Packers a game down in Jacksonville? I know you're really high on the Jacksonville Jaguars. They almost knocked off Green Bay. Uh, Jordy Nelson came back with a touchdown. Aaron Rodgers looked pretty sharp. But Jacksonville really put up a big fight uh, against uh, a very strong team. Yeah, I think um, go, get, entering an, an air shootout with the Jaguars is, is a bad idea because they have the weapons with Allen Robinson, Julius Thomas, and Blake Bortles. So, uh yeah, that 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 made my pick feel good. You know, I did pick them to to make the playoffs. And Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams, one of the best touchdown passes I've seen in a in a really long time. Did you have a chance to see that highlight? I did not see that highlight, unfortunately, but I can imagine yeah. it was very pretty. It's him doing his you know pocket illusion and then just flicking his wrist and it bombs you know forty yards down the field. Pretty impressive. Um, Raiders against the Saints, uh, very surprising that the Raiders were even, you know, struggling against the Saints. The Saints have a water type defense. They just let anything go through, um, you know, going, coming all the way back, scoring what many people thought would be the game tying touchdown. And Jack Jalreel says, let's go for two. And they go for two. Michael Crabtree pulls in the, the two point conversion and, and they win. Uh, Chris, you, you wrote an article about going for two last year. Do you agree with that? Definitely. You're on the road. It's within a minute left. That, that is the, the one of the situations, the walk-off win. If you can walk off on a two-point conversion, look, man, a lot of people complain about the NFL's overtime system. You know, it's mainly a coin flip. Well, guess what? Winning off a two-point conversion ain't much worse. It's about a 45% chance. So why not play for your coin flip on your terms instead of playing for overtime and letting the ref decide it for you with his coin flip? I love the decision, especially on the road. Jack Del Rio, major props to you. I would have done the exact same thing. So don't let all these naysayers, you know, get you down. I'm sure he's not because he won. Um, but the point is, uh, yes, I love the call. 
And, you know, Oakland, I mean, yeah, the, the Saints do have a Swiss cheese defense, but when it plays in that, that dome, it's a little bit better, and their offense is definitely a lot better in that dome, too. So so that was a bit of a shootout-type game. Derek Carr showed then that he's got the stuff. So I, I'm happy about my Raiders pick as well. I think we both have them making the playoffs, you know, in our preseason. So things look good there. Um, but then the, the shocker to me was the Chiefs beating the Chargers. The Chargers had them dominated that whole game. I think it was yeah. the biggest comeback in Chiefs history. Uh, unfortunately for the Chargers, on top of losing that game in overtime, Keenan Allen tore his ACL. He is done for the year. Bob, talk about just bad news on top of bad news. I mean, that's just a, yeah. a, a terrible start for San Diego. Yeah, I mean, not much was expected from them this year, but for them to be in the game and then for them to lose their, their top playmaker uh, – not not very good melvin gordon already has two more touchdowns scored than he scored all of last year um so kind of surprising maybe the chargers are better than than what we thought um and then just to wrap it up uh thursday night football opened up with a really great game uh that rematch of the super bowl the the broncos defense looks just as vicious as ever uh pretty surprising that that uh carolina wasn't able to pull that out um you know they they had the lead for for much of the game but you know, Simeon looks just as much the game manager that that Peyton Manning looked, but late in the year, so that that'll be interesting. And I think uh, the Broncos have to be happy with that Week One result. Uh, Trevor Simeon may get the headlines, but C.J. Anderson—that is his offense. They are running it through him. Uh, he had a fantastic game. Sadly, I was facing him in fantasy football. Uh, it didn't go so well f- for me this week. But uh, the Broncos also sneakily added two additions to that offensive line. So, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Trevor Simeon here, but it's clear the Broncos are going to run that offense through C.J. Anderson and not ask Trevor Simeon to do too much. And I, I know we didn't talk about this before, but I do want to drop a stat bomb on you. Andy Dalton targeted A.J. Green 10 times when covered by Darrell Revis, and A.J. Green uh, caught all 10 of those balls for 152 yards and one touchdown. Revis Island may be sinking. Yeah, I think uh, the tides have have washed that away. <laughs> no, no more cruise ships going out there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> but all right, Bob. So so switching over, we're still going to talk football, but we're going to go to the college realm. You know, Ohio State and Michigan are ranked three and four. The Buckeyes trounced another cupcake. Michigan has not been challenged either. I have said that these are the two most overrated teams in college football right now. Um, you know, Bob. I mean, what do you think of Ohio State through two games? I mean, we're going to talk about Ohio State and Oklahoma on Football Friday. Obviously, a very big test for them. But do you agree that that Ohio State and Michigan? Do you think they should? Do you think they should be three and four right now? Because I I do not. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I, you know, the rankings this this early on, uh, it's just hard to say. All right, they don't deserve to be in it. But then, who would I rather put in that position? And whoever I put in that position is probably uh, a little overrated as well. I guess you could make the argument for Stanford and and and, and you know. You know, Clemson hasn't looked a whole lot good, so uh, you know you have to have placeholders at this point. But I, I I don't think that Ohio State and Michigan are the third and fourth best team in the nation. Now, if Ohio State goes into Norman on Saturday and beats Oklahoma in any way, yeah, then then you can make the argument for that for sure. But uh, against Tulsa, against Bowling Green. 
where while other teams are playing quality opponents, no, I don't think that Ohio State is the fourth best team in the nation. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think Stanford was underrated to begin with. I think they should be in the top four. I think Clemson, until they lose, should stay in the top four because they won at Auburn. And I know Auburn's not great this year, but they're better than anything Ohio State and Michigan has played. And Houston's beaten Oklahoma as well. I think all three of those teams are better right now than Ohio State and Michigan. But of course, we're going to talk more on Football Friday about this Ohio State-Oklahoma matchup. But speaking of another Oklahoma team, Bob, have you gotten a chance to see the tremendously unfortunate way that Oklahoma State Central Michigan game ended. Yeah, I think it was an awesome way for it to end. I know the controversy and, and Central Michigan probably shouldn't have even been able to run that play. But if you're a ranked Oklahoma State team with Big 12 championship aspirations, why is CMU even in the position to, to win off a of Hail Mary? That, that's, that's how I'm looking at it. So yeah, give it to them. No sympathy for Oklahoma State. A, defend the Hail Mary. B, your Oklahoma State, you shouldn't even be in the position, as you said, against Central Michigan. That game should have been over and out and done. But, Bob, man, I mean, Central Michigan was awarded a play they shouldn't have been with zero seconds left. I, I am of the ilk that since you're not – it's not like you're saying, hey, they kicked a field goal with three seconds left or, or something like that. You know, there was no time left, and then they were awarded another play with no time left. I honestly don't think it's that big of a deal if you just say, hey, lob that play off. You weren't supposed to have it anyway. I, I think Oklahoma State did get robbed, and I think that there should be some sort of correction. And I do think that if the commit, if they're in the hunt, the committee will look at this game in that kind of light. But I agree with you. They shouldn't have even been in that position. But at the same time, uh, it's just hard for me to stomach the fact that, that the refs made such an egregious error that really cost them the game yeah i get it i i get the concern and all that but um yeah i don't i don't think oklahoma state is going to be in in the title conversation or, or i don't think they're going to be at the end of the year with just the cmu loss to begin with um so i don't think it's going to be that big of a deal um but regardless you know you, you're playing in central michigan you know you, you should be up by at, at least a t- more than a touchdown t- to end the game um, you know, kind of going off of that, we do have a couple teams that almost uh, suffered similar upsets in, in Clemson for for a second straight week, almost getting knocked off, and then Georgia hosting Nichols State, um, or excuse me, Nichols College. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on those games? Oh well, first, I mean, they both won, but yes, it was definitely scary. Uh, Georgia, you don't want to even be in that situation against Nichols College and Clemson against Troy, man. That that was a game until the fourth quarter there. Um, bad week for the Big 12, too. TCU also lost to Arkansas. Oklahoma State losing to Central Michigan. Oklahoma has already lost to Houston. I mean, Bob, who would have thought Texas carrying the mantle for the Big 12 right now? Kind of crazy. Um, and, and then the cool part of the weekend was the battle at Bristol, uh, Tennessee, and Virginia Tech. Bob, 156,000 fans uh, were at that arena. I think closer to 157,000. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty crazy. And, you know, kind of surprising that uh, Virginia Tech you know, had the lead for a little bit. Then, then Tennessee kind of took off. Um, those near losses though for, for Clemson and Georgia and, and then you did bring up Arkansas knocking off TCU 
I'm going to use Arkansas as the example, you know, in week one, they, they had to come back to win 21 to 20 against Louisiana, Louisiana tech. And then they go into TCU and win in a double overtime. So uh, I, I think Clemson and Georgia were rightfully dropped in the rankings, but I, I, it's not the same as a loss. You, you still got the win. You still got out. And obviously I think both those teams are better than, than what they what they put on the field on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. You still got the win. And can't we just say, Georgia dropped seven spots for winning. I, I, I get it. You want to punish them, but come on, man. I mean, three would be suffi- sufficient. Like, let's not drop them all the way to 16. I don't think that they're no longer a top 12 team just because they struggled a little bit against a team they probably should have beaten by a lot. Um, I think that was a little excessive for Georgia. Yeah. I mean, Nichols beat the spread by 53 points, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> But they didn't beat the Bulldogs. That's all that Very matters. True. <laughs> so. But, all righty, man. So anything else from college football that, 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 that caught your eye? I mean, you know, week two. Week two wasn't really that great. It was kind of a, a downer week. I think there's some bigger games on the slate this coming Saturday. Yeah, I think we got all the marquee matchups week one, and then you know week two is kind of all right. Well, we had our big game. Now let's actually have our tune-up game. So we're gonna get more a sprinkling of, of big-time matchups as we head into conference play. And, uh, nothing else really stuck out other than Lamar Jackson already outscoring uh, all but eight teams himself in, in terms of <laughs> touchdown potential. So um, he's pretty fantastic and has been fantastic this year. That's pretty unbelievable, man. I mean, yeah, we're going to see him. He's got a big date with Florida State this coming week, so uh, that'll be exciting to see as well. Um, Bob, were you able to watch much of the U.S. Open? Uh, no. No, no, I was not. Gotcha. Well, I was a little football crazy is what uh, no, I to- I totally understand, but um, my – Okay, I kind of cheated. I didn't pick a winner. I just said that the favorites weren't going to win, and they didn't. Serena Williams lost, Andy Murray lost, and Novak Djokovic was upset, kind of, by Stan Wawrinka. I don't think it was a huge upset, Wawrinka. Wawrinka is a very good player. Uh, that is his third major now, so it's time to start talking about him uh, as a, you know, a really with the elite tennis players. I mean, he's definitely making his mark on history. And then Angelique Kerber winning her second Grand Slam of the year, beating Carolina Pliskova, I hope I said that right. I think I did. Uh, who Pliskova was the one who beat Serena Williams and her sister Venus. Uh, not many people have done that in the same tournament, but she could not beat Angelique Kerber in the final. Kerber won the Australian Open this year, now the U.S. Open, so both the hard court slams, and that will be enough to uh, take over the world number one from Serena Williams. So Serena Williams' reign at the top is over for now. Um, you know, part of the reason she's able to do this is because Serena Williams didn't play in a lot of tournaments at the end of the year last year. So Serena Williams can make up a lot of points if she plays in some tournaments um, from now until November. So uh, it might be a short-lived reign for Kerber, but uh, nevertheless, she is number one in the world as of today. Yeah, very interesting. You know, Arinka is a name that is popping up more and more, uh, you know, at one uh, a major in 2014 then in 2015 and now he, he's won one in, in 2016 so yeah like he like you said definitely you know deserves to be in the conversation of, of the top uh, men's players for sure oh yeah i mean he's won on three three different ones too it was the australian in 2014 the the french open in 2015 and now u.s open so wimbledon's the one that's missing from his uh, trophy case uh you know it's always special to win all four of them in your career so 
we'll see if he can maybe put it together and uh you know bring home a grass title next year now that that would be kind of funny you do one a year and then it's a different one each yeah. year too that would be just kind of uh an interesting way to uh to do it yeah definitely that that would be interesting and that's it for the tennis season too it's kind of sad i i, I love tennis it's uh fun to watch but uh you know next year australian opens what like four months away huh. it seems too long man it just seems too long. <laughs> all righty man we have packed a ton in this podcast a lot of football a lot of baseball a little tennis so we, we we took you guys around the diamond so to speak and uh kind of touched on everything there uh cleveland indians have a big week seven games against the white Sox and the tigers uh the browns and the buckeyes we'll talk more about on football fridays previewing their next matchups against oklahoma and baltimore um one will probably be more optimistic than the other uh but hey thank you all for listening to clee talk please follow us on twitter fenley at fenley road sports you can follow us at instagram at fenley road sports and come back to fenleyroadsports.com please listen to our podcast don't forget to come back friday for football fridays it'll be on fenleyroadsports.com or through itunes just search fenley road sports and you can subscribe you can also subscribe to our podcast through fenleyroadsports.com that's our main website houses everything so please thank you for your support Continue to listen, and we hope you come back for more next Monday for Clee Talk and every Friday for the NFL season for Football Fridays. But until then, go try. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.